Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller. Sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks. Welcome back. And thank you for listening to the show. It's 10 o'clock now, so I'll be going. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for stopping by. And we'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly. 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We get together on Saturday and we discuss your yard, your landscape, your garden, house plants, potting mixes, soil improvement, uh, pruning bugs, diseases, and plant removals, and all that other kind of stuff. Please remember my words are strictly to open opportunities. Then it's going to take effort on your part during this great marathon called gardening. It's never going to be a sprint. If it is a sprint, then something is not going to really work all that well. I This is your show, and I appreciate you being there. Thanks to Matt. He's here back producing again. And uh, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations throughout the metro area. And uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, which is a landscape evaluation from a problem standpoint, aesthetic standpoint, or whatever it happens to be, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. There's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. So today, my good gardening stroll is going to be in Ladue off Clayton Road. Uh, let's see. The good gardening stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I headed and turned on Leona, then Loughborough. Then the twists and turns this morning as I was entering Carondelet Park. Trees are moving and the morning beat from the rain as it was falling. Sky to the east was showing signs of some lighter color, so it looked like it wasn't going to rain all that long. So I decided to head to the boathouse, lake. And from a distance, I thought, that, wow, look at all the water lilies that are on the lake water. But it was patches of algae instead. Oh, no. Oh, well. Boy, I got out of the car and headed down towards the boathouse, and the center fountain was striking as ever. There was a trio of fishermen casting their lines under or near a pergola because the fishing dock or deck or whatever it's called is under rehab, so you can't go out on that. So you have to kind of stay on the shore more or less to do any fishing. The maple trees uh, lined walkway that comes down to the boathouse, actually historically has been filled with annuals, summer bulbs, shrubs, and perennials. They've all been cleared out. The only thing that stands there now is uh, basically the flagpole and a row of kind of trees that kind of nondescript trees that don't look, I mean, they look okay, but they're not great. There was some white ducks and mallards. They saw me coming and said, let's get out of here. I don't like the looks of this guy. And uh, there was some kind of ducks there that I don't know what these ducks are. But they look like regular ducks body-wise, except for their faces. I mean, they have ready, red lumps and stuff around their eyes, and they look kind of like a combination of a turkey and a duck. So, 
what is that thing? I do not know. But anyway, there was three of them there, so uh, quite, a, quite a wild scenario with the ducks. There was a squirrel that has a tan tail. He was running all over the place. And some of the lakeside plantings were, um, there were some crepe myrtles. There were some oak leaf hydrangeas. Well, this is on the other side of the boathouse. The crepe myrtle, I mean the oak leaf hydrangea, man, those white flowers, huge. Usually you don't see them quite that big, but they were great. There's hosta, there's viburnum, there's some boxwood as well, along with some daylilies that are ready to pop open within a week or so. A dog walker didn't seem to mind the rain, and the view across the lake was actually fantastic because you can see those historic stone walls that had been built. Then conifers, both deciduous and, or the trees, both deciduous and conifers, they were looking very good with various shades of green. Birds of all kinds were hopping all over the place and chirping into their friends. And it was a very nice rainy morning at the boathouse in Crondlet Park. So if you have any questions, give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Again, Matt is back. He'll be taking your call, and all you need to do is give him your name and where you're calling from, and he'll get you onto the computer list. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, a small amount of rain this morning, but uh, that does not mean do not water your lawn or your plants or your garden or anything else. This is got to get that stuff done. Even if they're predicting rain for later on in the evening or tonight, it's actually better you know, to water before a rain is coming. So if you see rain in the distance, go ahead and water. Why? Well, because that softens the ground. And so when the rain does come, there's not so much rain off. It penetrates into the ground and helps the root system of your plants, whether it's lawn, trees, shrubs, perennials, vegetables, herbs, anything else. So a lot of times people will say, I'm out there watering. They drive by and say, it's going to rain. Why are you watering? And that's why. So I can get the ready, get the ground ready, get it softened so it can absorb as much of the rainfall as possible, and then it won't just run off the surface. Let's head out to St. Peter's for the first call and go into Sam's yard. Hi, Sam. How are you? Hey, good morning, Mike. Yeah, go ahead. I've got a problem with, I've had two trees removed from my front yard. In the spring, I've had the grass growing, I mean, unbelievable. Now that it got off to the hot weather, it's died where the two trees were removed. Right. Tell me what I need to do. I've got two bare spots. There's not too much you can do. You're not going to get any grass to grow there. You can get the grass to germinate, but it's not going to survive. Because there's too much, even if you got all the wood shavings, every, you know, where the stumps ground out and everything else, there's too much wood right in that spot. So you're not going to get any grass to grow there for a while. So you can either just mulch it and put some decorative thing there. A gentleman called a couple weeks ago and said what he does, I guess he has a landscape company, he sort of builds raised beds over those areas, backfills them with like a topsoil compost mix, and then plants, you know, some decorative type things in there as opposed to lawn. But you're never, ever, ever for several years going to get successful lawn that's going to survive, you know, for more than just one season in these locations. 
Alrighty. Thank you, sir. Sure. Sorry. And also just realize also, you know, the root system, even though it's been beheaded and everything else, is still going to continue to absorb nutrients and moisture. So there's going to be impacts related to the root system as well as right where the stumps were. So unfortunately, Sam, there's not too much you can do, but let's come back east to Chesterfield from St. Peter's and go into Stu's yard. Stu, how, how are, are you? you? Good morning, Mike. Hi. About five years ago, we planted um, two groupings of hydrangea. Uh, One of the groupings has continued to grow very tall, very big. I never touched the stalks at all because I heard you told me that before. Well, the patch is 20 feet around, 4 feet high, and I don't even have an inkling of a blossom. The second grouping uh, is a little shaded. The first grouping is full sun. Mm-hmm. The second grouping is a little shaded. They've grown up to about 18, 24 inches, and I've got a lot of blossoms. But I can't figure out why the grouping that's growing big gets plenty of water, gets plenty of nutrients, won't set a blossom. It, and the second year we put them in, we had hundreds of hundreds of blossoms. The only thing I can think of is this, you know, whatever hybrid this particular one is, it's not flowering. And I know you got the same ones and, you know, why that happens the way it does. I would say if you've had a full year where you've had no flowers on this thing, you know, go ahead, leave it for this year. I'm assuming the foliage, everything is full size, dark green, as you would expect out of the hydrangea. I would get rid of them, you know, if they're not going to give you what you're really going for. So either they were over sterile, or let's say, you know, a lot of times production nurseries will use very specific type of chemicals to make it so the plants will be in bloom when you buy them. And then there's enough left residual wise, which could kick off another bloom the following season. But then if there's not enough of that in this location, and again, if the plants look healthy and they're not blooming, then there's something wrong with this particular group. And especially if it's a whole group, that's, you know, I'm assuming, like I said, that the, you know, the plants look good and it's not like related to planting them too deep or to anything else as opposed to the other one that looks great. Uh, That chemical that the nurseries use to start them, could I buy that? Somewhere? No, it's not available. Okay. It's basically, you know, it's a, you know, it's industry wise. It's like the lawn services and people come out, you know, that are professionals. They have access to certain chemicals that the homeowner doesn't. Now they're not necessarily that much different, but they are a little bit different. So no, there's not. If you want to try, have you fertilized them? used uh, miracle growth for hydrangeas. Okay, then you're doing everything just right, and if you're not getting any blooms off of them, to me, to me there's something wrong with them just in general. Okay, thank you, Mike. Yeah, and I, I mean, why that's the case, you don't really know. It's just kind of like, you know, you grow up in a family, you have sisters and brothers, and none of you look the same, and none of you end up the same height, and none of you end up being able to do the same things athletic-wise and everything else. And I'm not saying the plants are in that cir- same circumstance, but it's very similar to that. So let's go now to South County and into Roger's yard. Hi, Roger. Hello. Good morning. Hi. Uh, I heard you talking about the ducks in Cronlet uh, Park. Yes. Those are called Muscovy. Uh, Muscovy. M U S C O V E Y. Wow. Well, you've got a we whole got a whole bunch of them at our house. <laughs> <laughs> Several years ago, we bought a couple down at an animal swap in uh, Waterloo, 
And uh, since then, we've had a lot of young ones, and we've got probably 25 or 30 of them in our yard right now. They are scary looking. Yeah. <laughs> They're a native of South America. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for the insight. I figured somebody would call and let me know. But, <laughs> I, you know, I go to Cronulla Park a lot, but I'd never seen them there before. And yeah, they don't, they don't quack either. No. Uh, <laughs> I try to get them to quack. I even tried to chase them, and, the, you know, a lot of ducks will start quacking if they have to run. But yeah. These no, they guys didn't. Little- they talk to each other. They they kind of uh, kind of hiss a little bit, but uh, very quietly. And they waggle or they wiggle their tails a lot. Oh, yeah, too. yeah. They uh, <laughs> that's their friendly. They're talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're very friendly ducks. Uh, they uh, um, we we they don't fly very far. They're pr- pretty heavy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they 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 get over the fence, but. Uh, they're they're interesting ducks and they're they're very uh, they're very tame. Uh, we got a lot of mallards here too, but the uh, the mallards we can't tame them. But the the, uh, the muscovies they come right up to eat out of your hands so practically. Oh, man, oh man, yeah, <laughs> they didn't seem to mix, you know, mingle with the like. There's white, you know, ducks there, and there's mallards. No, they don't there. mingle. They they kind of stay there themselves. Yeah, yeah they're, 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 a whole bunch of mallards here, and they they stay in one group, and the muscovies stay in another. Yeah, they seem like a gang of their own, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're interesting. Well, thanks, Roger. Okay, thanks. I mean, Muscovy Ducks, that was a new one on me. I just thought, wow, these things are really... And how they ended up there, who knows? Maybe somebody just happened to drop them off. Let's go up to St. Anne and go into Jack's yard and see what's going on with Jack. Jack, how are you today? Oh, I'm fine, sir. Listen, I have a Bradford pair in my front yard. And first, I got a le- one leaf that got a little bit of red spot on it. Next thing I know, there's... The whole tree is starting to turn brown. Ooh. That's not a good sign. It's so, starting on the south side. House sits west, and it's on the south side. And the leaves are a little smaller, yet the leaves on the north side are bigger. But yet uh, the whole thing is turning yellow, then red, yellow, then brown, and then they're just now starting to drop. Yeah, it's uh, you know if it's showing that kind of sign, it's a goner. There's nothing you can do about it. I mean, you could leave it if you want to, but it's not going to recover from that. Well, what I got? So what is it? Blight or something or yeah, what? Right, exactly. I mean, I had it, I had it trimmed uh, probably late part of spring. I probably heard it, didn't it? Uh, may not have, and maybe it was already internal. Usually, if you're going to have something that dramatic, it's already inside the thing, and that's you know kind of what you're you know what you're looking at. So I talked to the guy that, that from my tree. I said, well, "Well, maybe it just got sunburned." I said, "Really? <laughs> no, it's not. That's not sunburn. Because I mean, the foliage is, you know, I mean, it's acclimated. It's not a new plant or anything else. So this is, you know, that's not what you're really looking at. So it's basically a goner. And the, you know, the Bradford pears, the calorie pears, that whole flowering pear group, they can go through this pretty darn quick. And I mean, in one season, they can start heading downhill. Usually it's not a half a you know a whole tree at one time, but uh, that's kind of you know it's you could ha- you could leave it if you want to, but it's not going to get any better than what it is next year. Well, what I'm what I'm thinking is that the guy wasn't very forthcoming with me, and I and I just probably won't use him again. Yeah, well, that's I mean that's probably good, but uh, you know, good thought process on your own. But uh, yeah, it's not it's not going to come around again. And hopefully, you know, he's cleaning all his tools wherever he has been, so he doesn't. You know, he didn't bring this in, like I said, because it's you know you can't get inoculate a tree with a you know a blight like this that's going to cause this to happen. 
and it, and it won't happen within a month or something. So the tree already had to have it, and the fact that you just got it pruned just happened to be coincidental more so than anything else. Right. Well, I appreciate it. Yep. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, and I don't know if it's fire blight because that's the thing that usually with fire blight on you know Bradford pears or pear trees, usually it's individual like six or eight inch tips on the branches, and it just keeps going and going and going. But for it to happen all at once like this, that is not a good sign. So fire blight is one of the major diseases that, you know, Bradford pears, calorie pears, all those flowering pear trees have. There's other trees that get it too, but that's the one that, you know, most of us are most familiar with. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Folks, the heat and humidity can really accelerate disease, viruses, and bacteria problems, and the damage can range from cosmetic to deadly. So just like the gentleman, it has to be probably an internal blight. It didn't sound like fire blight, though, anyway, with his Bradford pear or his, you know, calorie pear, whatever. But just realize that for the fungicide to be really effective, you have to apply it before the fungus really is there and noticeable. So in other words, you have to keep sort of track of plants historically that have had fungus problems, black spot, or whatever type of fungus it happens to be. Even the lilacs with the powdery mildews and things like that or your flocks. You have to spray the first fungicide before any of that stuff shows up. Or else, yes, you can spray it, but it's not going to eradicate the problem. All it's going to do is maybe slow down its, let's say, invasive quality. So just realize that if you do have fungus problems, whatever it happens to be, you've got to keep track and start spraying before the fungus, fungus, virus, or anything else starts showing up. Let's go to South St. Louis and go into Terry's yard. Terry, how are you? Hey, Mike. Hey. Uh, I called you a couple weeks ago with a problem with my bell pepper plants. Ah. I don't know if you remember, but uh, I had uh, brown spots and the leaves were turning yellow and falling off and the plants were just not doing very well. Right. And you advised me to get some tomato uh, vegetable uh, food mm-hmm. for them. Right. And I just wanted to let you know that it worked perfectly. <laughs> and my, <laughs> my plants have came back and they're full and they're just, they're, I've got all kinds of uh, blooms and, and, and uh, uh, the plants are doing just very well. I just wanted to let you know online that your advice was spot on. Well, great. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I never listen to the Garden Hotline guy, so it's nice to hear that he knows what he's talking about sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Mike. Thank you very much. Yeah, sir. thank you. And yeah, this is for anybody. I mean, those fertilizers that are specifically made for certain plant groups, they have certain things in them that the other fertilizers will not have. So just realize that. So thanks, Terry. I greatly appreciate it. And anybody, a gentleman called last week about his asparagus patch. Now, this is a time of year, you know, you're probably finished, you know, harvesting all your asparagus. But uh, it's probably past the point of where it's actually asparagus. It's probably erupted out in all kinds of, like, feathery-looking leaves. Let that stuff go. But this is a time when you want to fertilize your asparagus. And with asparagus, because it's an agricultural-type crop, Triple 12 works very good for that. Triple 12 fertilizer was developed for agricultural use. So, in other words, a one-season-type fertilizing So if you know that you've had a soil test done and you don't have excessive amounts of phosphorus and potassium, which are the last two numbers on a fertilizer series of three numbers, 
the N triple twelve works very you know works fine. So with your asparagus, if you do happen to have that, go ahead and fertilize it now. Let's head over to Collinsville and go into Chris's yard. Chris, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? Very good. I'm calling because I'm getting ready to put in a drip system in the, around around the outside of my house. And my question is about specifically the faucet that is the joining piece from the hose to the house. When do you know or when should that be replaced? Wow. You mean actually the exterior faucet that you would just turn on? Right. I, I don't have I don't have any leaking problems, but the concept of thought is that this is going to be on twenty four seven and a timer will then distribute that water to my plants evenly. Right. But there's gonna be constant pressure coming through there. I just wonder is there what should I be looking at? Is it something I need to replace? I'm kind of lost with how to start from that point. Right. right. I, would I would say, say go to your favorite hardware store and talk to them about if if there's if this is just sort of the classic, you know, depending upon how old your faucet is, whether it's leaking now or not or anything else, ask them if it's, you should replace this with a more heavy-duty type faucet for this kind of circumstance because, yeah, putting water pressure on it, I don't know if that's going to if that has an impact or not, but it, it sounds like to me that you're having some pretty logical sense when you're somewhat concerned with it. So before you get too involved in this, I would go and just ask somebody at the you know your favorite hardware store what they you know what their suggestion is. I appreciate that. I was want. Is there any tips you can give me as far as what I can do to kind of assure this to work? Um, they work fairly well. I don't use. I used to use one. I don't use them anymore. Now I just use soaker hoses because of you know the circumstance of my landscape and everything else. But uh, if you know, as long as it's been installed correctly and the you know the plant material that you're trying to water with it is going to get watered, that's basically all you need to be you know assured of. And then the, obviously the mechanical aspects of it are going to work well. The timer, make sure you got a good quality timer because those things go a little bit funky too. I'm assuming this is a timer that's not solar powered or anything that you have to plug into an outlet. No, I'm going to keep it, well, I am going to plug it into an outlet, but I'm going to keep it indoors so it's away from any corrosion or outside. Oh, good. Okay. Because okay. I know I've, you know, I have some timers and some of them are pretty darn old. They're like 12, 14 years old, but still, you know, occasionally they do just kind of die and they don't you know they don't function anymore the clock you can pick it up or you can always listen to it to see if the clock on the interior of it is still working or just put your ear close to it but beyond that uh you know it sounds like you've got a good thought process is there any last question is there anything i can add to this for auto fertilizing just to kind of take me right out of the equation <laughs> <laughs> well what you know what i've done is you know <clears throat> I don't know if you know what type of drip system you have, but if you have a way that you can add, let's say, an attachment to it and just virtually run, have a bucket of, well, let's say, miracle Grow or whatever type of fertilizer you're going to use in this situation, the powder, you mix the water, you've got it all stirred up, and then you have a siphon pipe or hose that goes down into the bucket. And then it's, you know, as the water moves through the drip system, It'll siphon, you know, siphon some of the fertilizer out and feed it that way. That's about the only thing I can think of. All right. Well, I want to thank you for your time. I'll look into those things. Great. Well, good luck with that. And yeah, it sounds like you got a you know a good process. I have one of the faucets on my house 
The house was built in 49, the same year I was born. But uh, one of the faucets is, ugh. So I have to go over with the pliers every so often and crank the top of it where the, actually the handle is because some way, I don't know how that gets loose, but I, in reality, should just get the thing replaced, but I just haven't gotten around to doing that. So, But it is something you should be some, certainly concerned with, especially if this drip system is extremely important with what you're trying to grow. Mike Miller, KM Walks Garden Hotline. If you do have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, a couple tips for the best flavor and aroma out of your herbs. Remember, they're sun lovers, so put them in the maximum amount of sun that you have. If they're not getting at least five or six hours of sun, then you're probably not going to get too much out of them. And when you do fertilize, you're going to minimize the amount of fertilizing only half your label rate, and that's only basically every six or eight weeks. So don't over-fertilize and let the soil dry. So they want to have a drier soil. And also with your tomatoes, though, just kind of the opposite. All varieties, they need to be fertilized routinely and regularly. And water, basically the soil, wherever they're dry, growing, not drying. Wherever they're drying out, that's not good. But uh, if they're in a pot with potting mix or whether they're in the ground, you want to keep it so there's, they don't go through a drought-stress circumstance. And if you start to see some flowers drop, that's usually because of excessive high daytime temperatures. So that's basically what you're looking at with them. And when you put them in the ground, uh, 45 to 60 days before you're going to get any tomatoes that you can actually pick. So tomatoes, you know, for people that love to water and fertilize, that's perfect. Use tomato food because it has a calcium, which is very crucial for tomatoes to do very well. And for the herbs, for people that don't want to really do a whole lot, but still they like the herbs, underwater and under. Fertilize. Let's go now to Jay and Jay's in St. Louis. Hi, Jay. Good morning, Hi. Mike. I have two dwarf Alberta spruce mm-hmm. trees that are potted, um, and I am told that they can be pruned on the directions from, from Monrovia in California. They tell me that I can prune them, and I, what I've got, they made it through the winter very good. Very good. Right. But uh, when I prune, um, is it? How, how drastic can I do this, or what do you recommend? To be honest with keep- you, I would never prune them. I don't care what Monrovia Nursery says. They just don't seem to really take well to pruning. So, and if you're going to go ahead and prune them, you don't, certainly don't want to do it this time of year. You want to do it as we're coming out of wintertime before the new growth begins, so sometime in February or March. And I would never cut more than you know, an inch or two off of them. So just realize that's what you're really looking at. And if you've got the pots wherever they're sitting backed up to a wall or anything, know the backside is going to, the tree's going to go, uh-oh, we're not getting any sunlight on the backside, so it's going to start dropping the needles in a couple years. No, I've turned the pots because you had given me that recommendation okay. uh, last fall. But uh, they, I want to keep them cone-shaped, and now there's there's a great deal of new growth on them, but it's, it's kind of irregular. They're, they're looking a little raggy, let's say. Right. So you, don't I, you know, prune. there's too many diseases and airborne type things, and they're, they're a little bit iffy anyway. So I would just, I would hold off and not prune them right now. If you want to go ahead and try it, you could go ahead and you may make it through fine, but that's just not something I'd normally recommend, you know, for any kind of conifer this time of year. Now, if you did want to do some pruning, 
you could certainly prune any kind of maple tree, any of the birch trees or beech trees, but uh, I just don't recommend pruning any kind of conifer or anything with a needle this time of year. So, and you're saying, uh, so what, after, uh, tell yeah. me again, when, when, when do you recommend it? Basically, let's say sometime after, let's say October, you know, when the weather's starting to change, the viruses and fungus and bacteria are not going to be quite as prolific as they are during the heat of the summertime. So then all the way up until the new growth begins sometime in, you know, April, March, whenever it happens to go start the following year. Okay, very good. One other question. Sure. I have three beautiful tomato plants uh, that are blooming, in, and uh, actually I got my first tomato, but I bought them in, in fairly small pots. Um, so I set them in bigger pots, and uh, they seem to be taking a lot of water. Right. Uh, should I keep them in those pots and keep the water in them? Um, are you saying, did you pull them out of the original pot and put them in larger pots? No, I bought them, and they were they were already potted, and they already had the tomato crates around them. Okay, uh, and but they they're uh, how big's I, a, how big's the actual pot that they're growing in right now? Oh, probably uh, 16-inch pots. That's probably not too bad. I prefer a little bit bigger, personally. I'm not growing tomatoes this year, but we've grown them off and on for years, and. The smaller the pot just means the more you're going to have to, as the heat get, builds up and gets more and more and more intense, you're just going to have to monitor the watering more in a pot that size. So the bigger the pot, you can put a saucer. If you, I don't know. I'm assuming if, if you don't have, put a saucer underneath it and just you know, make sure there's always some water in that saucer and the bottom of the pot. Okay. And then on, on the tomato food, uh, because they're in that much water, uh, is it okay to feed them like Every two weeks, or, or what do you recommend? Uh, probably, yeah, every two to three weeks, that's fine. You want to make Very. sure they don't go through any kind of nutrient deficiency. Okay, thank you for your help. Yep, good luck with that. Yeah, 16 inches is a little bit small, but it uh, just means you just have to watch them a little bit closer. Uh, Rosemary in Nashville, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Great. Um, I have a question about grapevines and um, blackberry vines. I have about 50 foot. Uh, line of them, and I pulled the weeds out from underneath them, and they're growing back again. And I've seen in vineyards where they don't have any weeds under them. What do they use? They probably maybe use an herbicide that's, you know, like a pre-emergent type herbicide. Now, if you have grassy weeds, so in other words, things that look like grass, you can actually use a grass killer that won't impact your grapes or won't impact your blackberries, either one, because they're broadleaf plants as opposed to a grassy thing. Now, if you have broadleaf weeds underneath there, then uh, you know mulching, those type things, is a, you know, a good way to at least get it started. It suppresses some of it, but you're still going to have to go out there and maybe use something like a wick applicator, which is a bottle that you've put herbicide in, and then it has a tube and then a sponge, and then you can just dab it on the things that you're trying to kill. Okay, good. So it's pretty, I mean, it's not really that difficult. And then you just realize that just because you get rid of the weeds one year doesn't mean they're not going to be back, not necessarily the same ones, but a similar variety the following year. Right. So just it's going to be an ongoing process. I pulled them once and they're back again. And so I thought. (laughs) (laughs) That's why they call them weeds. And the thing is, you know, the interesting thing is anything that's too easy to grow, we hate. And so, right. that, so, but anyway, grapes and blackberries, that sounds great. And they're getting ripe now. Whoa, all right. Yes. 
So, they yeah, just, you know, the weeds really do, you know, they don't do a whole lot necessarily, but they can compete with nutri- for mu- nutrients and moisture and everything else. That's why you want to keep them fairly weed-free. Right, right. Thank you so much. Yep, good luck with that. And uh, I'll tell you what, folks, I don't know if you got that, what I was talking about, pruning with the Alberta spruce, but this time of year, if you have a silver maple, if you have a sugar maple, Japanese maple, amber maple, Red maple, any type, they can be pruned this time of year. Also realize that the birch trees, the river birch in particular, are already starting to drop the leaves. So usually it's not you know mid-June when it starts to happen, but this year it's already starting to drop, and that's you know related to temperature, moisture, and everything else. Even if we've had rainfall, it doesn't really matter. The tree starts dropping a lot of leaves. So if you start seeing... Uh, yellow leaves underneath your birch trees, then that's what's happening. It's just a natural thing that happens this time of year. But they can be pruned as well, white spire birch and river birch both. And then the beech trees, if you have a tricolor beech or a purple beech tree, you can do that. If you have longer branches, remember, cut them off in sections with a final cut, leaving only a stub of about a half inch or so. That exposes the cambium layer, so that way you're going to know that you can get this thing put together and cut right so it can heal. So. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We will be back after the news. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.